You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast raising the bar at workplaces everywhere. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective are their own and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, Teresa McQueen. Thank you, James, and welcome everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with employment law attorney Connie Chen about the recent U.S. Supreme Court decision in the Viking River Cruises, Inc. v. Moriana case. Connie is a principal in the Los Angeles, California offices of Jackson Lewis PC, and she will be sharing her insights on the impact of the Viking River case and what's next for employers. It's going to be a great show. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Workplace Perspective has a new website. Visit us at www.workplaceperspective.com. Check out our new look, including our featured guests and archive sections. Share us with your friends and colleagues to help us continue to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome back to Workplace Perspective, Connie Chen. Hi there, Teresa. It's great to be with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. Once okay. again, last time you were on the show, we were talking about COVID issues. Not doing that today, thank goodness. <laughs> no, although the issues still abound, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. Other issues, other pressing issues. Well, before we get started, why don't you remind our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, so as you noted, I'm a principal in the Los Angeles office of Jackson Lewis, D.C. Um, I'm a management side employment lawyer. I handle all sorts of workplace disputes um, on behalf of companies of all sizes across various industries, um, things like harassment and discrimination um, and retaliation claims to wage and hour disputes. I also provide um, day-to-day advice and counseling to um, help companies stay in compliance with um, all the California laws out there and, and try to minimize the risk of litigation. Awesome. All right. So let's jump into it. Why don't we start by uh, you telling our listeners a little bit about why it is we're talking about this case and why they should care. Sure. So just a couple of weeks ago, on June 15th, 2022, the United States Supreme Court issued a long-awaited opinion amongst employment circles um, called Viking River Cruises, Inc. versus Mariana. Um, and the reason um, we were eagerly anticipating uh, this decision, at least from the uh, employer side, is because it potentially allows employers to reduce um, the potential exposure to PAGA actions and PAGA liability, um, which has proliferated throughout the state since 2004 when the law was passed. Pause right there and just give a quick shout out to what PAGA is. Sure. So um, for those of you who um, have not had the pleasure of dealing with a PAGA claim, uh, PAGA stands for the Private Attorneys General Act of 2004. Um, it's codified in California's labor code starting in section 2698. Um, basically, what PAGA does is it provides employees with a private right of action against an employer um, to collect civil penalties on behalf of the state's 
Labor and Workforce Development Agency, what we refer to as the LWDA for violations of the labor code. So it, it, an employee essentially is authorized under the statute to act as an agent or a proxy of the LWDA and um, bring claims on behalf of the individual employee as well as other employees um, for issues like um, you know, alleged unpaid overtime, meal and rest break violations, wage statement violations, um, you know, late payment of wages upon termination, things like that. And because they can bring these claims on what we refer to as a representative basis, um, and because of the penalties that attach to um, any proven violations, it does create significant exposure on top of, um, you know, the claims that can be brought in a, in a typical class action. So you have, you know, in a regular wage and hour class action, you have, um, you're dealing with claims arising out of the labor code statutes themselves. Under PAGA, you have an additional mechanism for um, seeking penalties on top of whatever damages may arise from those underlying statutory violations. Lovely synopsis, perfect synopsis. Then let's talk a little bit about how PAGA and the arbitration issues in Viking River sort of intersect and impact um, our employer listeners. Before Viking River, um, there was a significant California Supreme Court decision in a case called Iskanian versus CLS Transportation Los Angeles LLC. That decision came out in 2014. Um, and that case was significant because the California Supreme Court found that while employees could waive the right to bring class actions um, through arbitration agreements that they enter into with their employers, they could not waive uh, the right to bring representative PAGA actions through those same arbitration agreements. And, and, and the reason the California Supreme Court made that distinction was because it found PAGA, it's aimed to address disputes between an employer and the state LWDA versus a private dispute between the employer and the employee. Because remember, the employees are acting as a proxy of the state or an agent of the state um, if they bring a claim under PAGA. And the, the California Supreme Court further held that this was not contrary to the Federal Arbitration Act um, because the FAA aims to um, promote the resolution of private disputes in arbitration, um, whereas other claims deal with disputes um, not between private parties, but again, between um, the state agency, the LWDA, and the employer. And so um, after this issue or after this decision came out, kind of it was the controlling law in California for quite some time, we saw PAGA claims, you know, proliferate um, because even though you have this arbitration agreement that might limit the exposure to class actions, you, you still have this uh, PAGA claim and um, PAGA claims are not subject to the same class certification requirements that class actions have. There's, there's other um, aspects to PAGA that are, are unique and distinct from class actions that you know, make them um, costly and time consuming to defend. As an understatement, <laughs> but I, you know, so, so the idea being that, you know, of course, employers can manage their risk of litigation by having employees enter into these arbitration agreements that say you're going to waive your right to have your case heard in court. We're going to go to private arbitration. 
But then there's the carve out um, for the PAGA actions, for the representative actions. And I always kept it straight in my head. Part of that analysis too originally was because the state wasn't party to the to the arbitration agreement because they weren't involved in the arbitration agreement. They couldn't be held to be participating the in the art. And yeah, because they're part of the uh, the uh, PAGA action, uh, there was a party left out of the contract. Okay, so then let's focus a little. Let's focus a little more then on. Um, what actually what actually did Viking River? Why is it so important to everybody? Yeah, so employers um, have been attempting to seek Supreme Court u s Supreme Court review of the Iskanian decision for quite some time. And up until Viking River, the Supreme Court has um, basically denied the petitions for review and and refused to take on the case. Um, and And once they agreed to review, Viking River, um, employers became hopeful that uh, they would resolve the decision um, in the in the employer's favor. And my take on Viking River is, is it's a decision is a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, it's not quite the slam dunk that I think um, the employer side and the defense bar was hoping for, but it it, it does. Um, make a, an important distinction that um, could potentially significantly limit um, the exposure to PAGA actions if, if the arbitration agreement is drafted correctly. Awesome. All right. I'm, I'm, we're going to get the signal. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, uh, more of Connie's thoughts on the Viking River case. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Take a step toward bringing our country and community together. Start a meaningful conversation at lovehasnolabels.com slash one small step. A message from StoryCorps, Love Has No Labels, and the Ad Council. Welcome back, everyone. We are talking with employment law attorney Connie Chen about the recent U.S. Supreme Court case of Viking River Cruises v. Moriana and its impact on the PAGA landscape. So you started to speak uh, about the impacts. So let's, let's keep going with that. Okay, so just to quickly sum up the Supreme Court decisions in Viking River, um, that case involved a company that sells voyages on leading ocean on a leading ocean and river cruise line. Um, the employee there was named Andrew Mor- Moriana, and she worked for Viking as a sales representative in California for about a year. Um, before beginning her employment, she signed an arbitration agreement in which she agreed to resolve all future employment-related disputes with Viking River through uh, private bilateral arbitration. Um, and the arbitration agreement stated that uh, it applies to any dispute arising out of or relating to her employment and included um, a provision in which we agreed to pursue any employment-related claims on an individual basis only and um, not seek to bring any class collective or representative other claims. Um, and it's important to note that because of the the nature of Viking River's business, um, the Federal Arbitration Act applies to the arbitration agreement that Moriana signed. Um, and again, the FAA um, provides for for the facilitation of private dispute resolution through arbitration. So it, it, it's a it's an act that favors arbitration. And, and what the uh, U.S. Supreme Court held a few weeks ago on June fifteenth was that um, the Iskanian decision. That we just spoke about um, was partially correct in that 
the FAA does not require a wholesale of wholesale representative action waivers. So um, basically, employers still can't require employees to waive their rights to bring a PAGA claim altogether. Um, however, the U.S. Supreme Court dis uh, disagreed with the California Supreme Court in Iskanian to the extent that Iskanian held that PAGA claims are not divisible um, between an employee's individual PAGA claim and the representative portion of the PAGA claim on behalf of other um, aggrieved employees. And under the FAA, the employer cannot be forced to arbitrate um, both an individual PAGA claim and the PAGA claim of other alleged employees unless there's been an express agreement to do so, which in uh, Moriana's case, there was not. And so um, the result was that um, Moriana Moriana's claim following Viking River um, needs to be resolved through individual arbitration. And as for the repre representative action portion of the claim, the court found that, well, since Moriana's individual claim was an arbitration, she really had no standing to pursue those, those other claims um, in state court. And so those have to be dismissed um, because they're, and, and, and this portion of the court's ruling is significant and can lead to developments down the road, which we'll talk about. But basically, um, the U.S. Supreme Court found that there's a, there does not appear to be a mechanism in PAGA that gives um, the PAGA plaintiff statutory standing to assert the representative claims um, if the individual claim has to be separately resolved in arbitration. Does that allow the plaintiff's bar to, to plaintiff shop? To sort of just continue shopping. So if this individual doesn't work with this individual, we keep trying, or will it continue to roll forward with the same employer if the employer has arbitration agreements with all its employees? A lot of times I've had cases where we, um, you know, we, we present the other side with a, a valid signed enforceable arbitration agreement and they will either, you know, stipulate to, um, dismiss, you know, the, the class claim or the, uh, not the positive claim up until now, but, um, or or they would just try to find another employee. You know, it, it just it kind of depends. But you know, as I mentioned before, the impact of Viking River doesn't necessarily mean you can never bring a representative PAGA claim. Um, and there were certain nuances in the language of the U.S. Supreme Court decisions that you know leaves things um, a little bit uncertain in the future. And there's still some issues that um, I anticipate will need to be. Resolved. So, for instance, um, the majority opinion in Viking River, you know, they use very specific language in terms of "quote unquote." But as we see it, PAGA provides no mechanism to enable a court to adjudicate non-individual PAGA claims once the individual claim has been committed to a separate proceeding. So that is essentially the U.S. Supreme Court's um, interpretation of the PAGA statutory mechanism, which um, is. If you take a look at Judge, uh, Justice Sotomayor's concurring opinion, um, she notes um, expressly, but of course, if this court's understanding is of state law is wrong, California courts in an appropriate case will have the last word. Um, alternatively, if the court's understanding is right, the California legislature is still free to modify the scope of statutory standing under PAGA. And so we anticipate um, that um, 
you know, employees and, and, and their advocates will be exploring those avenues and, and, uh, you know, seeing how, how things play out in, in the California state courts and the California legislature, um, based on, based on those comments. I always love when they give opinions like that. Here's our opinion, but here's how you're going to get around it. <laughs> if you don't like it, here's how you can go around and fix it. <laughs> Essentially, potentially. And so, you know, this decision just came out a couple of weeks ago. I mean, obviously, um, it remains to be seen how that's going to play out over the next few months and, and years even. Yeah. And then there's some other aspects, you know, out there that can impact it as well, right? There's AB 51. It didn't, it didn't manage to resolve everything that's hanging out there. Correct. And so, you know, um, a lot of clients I've already reached out to, you know, on the, like literally the day of the decision, it's like, so what do we do now? You know, is this, are we, are we free or are we safe or what, what do we do now? Or I don't have arbitration agreements. If I start having everyone sign them or, um, you know, what are, what are our options? What should employers be doing? And, and, and you mentioned AB 51, which is pending. California legislation that um, prohibits employers from mandating or forcing um, employees to sign arbitration agreements, you know, regardless of whether they contain any class or representative action waivers. If you can't, under AB 51, employers are not supposed to mandate um, that employees enter into these private arbitration agreements. Otherwise, the employers could be subject to um, civil actions, um, penalties under PAGA, misdemeanor liability <laughs> fines, things of so things of, of that nature. Um the viability of, of that legislation is currently under review um by the Ninth Circuit. Um they had re, re uh, reserved their um decision about whether to grant the petitions to review their decision in that case until after Viking River um have been issued. And so we're still waiting to hear from the Ninth Circuit about um, and what they plan to do with um, the challenge to AB 51, um, which adds another wrinkle to, you know, the uh, what employers should be doing in, in light of the Viking River decision. Um, but what we're recommending is, you know, if, if you don't have an arbitration agreement, you should certainly um, consider implementing them now, even in light of AB 51, because um, enforcement of that statute has been enjoined um, pending the, the ninth circuit's decision about whether to grant review. It, it's not a one-size-fits-all or a bright-line standard. You should still, you know, speak with um, employment counsel to discuss the pros and cons of, of arbitration in general, um, of rolling out these new arbitration agreements in light of AB 51, you know, discuss the, the logistics and the administration aspect of um, rolling out arbitration agreements and, and, and making sure that if you do proceed with preparing one that um, it meets all the requirements for enforceability, um, you know, so that you're not subject to an attack on your arbitration agreement after you've gone through the, um, the effort of rolling it out, because we do anticipate many more challenges to the enforceability of arbitration agreements and the validity of um, the class and representative action waivers in light of Viking River. I think that's a good point. And there's, there was a lot of good points in there. Um, but let's talk about um, what makes a good arbitration agreement. So if you're, you know, if, if you're going to go for it and try to uh, limit liability, 
Um, and as we kind of talked about when we preparing for the show, it's, it could be a very long haul. So it is, you know, if you're considering it, it's not worth holding off waiting to see what the challenges are going to be like, because that could be, you know, years down the road, um, depending on what they do. But why don't you, uh, it, as we're getting ready to wrap up, can you just kind of give a few points about what sort of makes a good arbitration agreement? Sure. So, um, you know, even before Viking River, you still needed um, to, you know, minimize any grounds for potential procedural or substantive unconscionability. You need to make sure that you establish that both sides have agreed to arbitrate, and that includes obtaining the proper signatures. And if you're using e-signatures, as many companies um, are today, you know, you need to make sure those mechanisms are solid and, and, and tight and, and subject to, to, you know, surviving a challenge. You need to make sure there's um, language in the arbitration agreement that addresses consideration um, and mutuality. You know, the agreement has to be binding on both the employer and the employee equally. And then, you know, there's also specific language that could be considered in light of Viking River. Um, you know, you might want to um, include individual PAGA claims in the covered claims section to make it clear that um, even if you can't um, move forward with a representative PAGA claim, you know, make it clear per Viking River, the employee can still pursue PAGA claims on an individual basis. You know, remove any language that suggests you can't bring a PAGA claim at all or avoid that language. Um, and then include a strong severability clause because that was a, a key factor in the, the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in Viking River, you know, that if um, any portion of the class or representative action waiver um, is found to be unenforceable, whatever enforceable provision <laughs> there is that remains, shall be enforced in arbitration. Those, those are the, the, the key factors. So I just wanted to quickly touch on um, what, you know, employers could do if they have existing arbitration agreements. First, you would want to take a look at the language to make sure it meets, you know, just the general requirements for having a valid and enforceable arbitration agreement. Um, but you also want to make sure it has those severability provisions and some of those other Viking River specific position, uh, provisions that I just mentioned, you know, before an employer undertakes, you know, just a, a total new rollout of the arbitration agreement, you know, in terms of updating or revising, there's a, you know, there's a big administrative burden associated with that. There's, um, you know, potential employee relations issues to consider if you're having existing employees sign arbitration agreements, you know, the company needs to consider do we just roll it out for new employees and not the existing employees? What are the pros and cons? Um, so we're not necessarily suggesting that everybody run out and, and start redoing their existing arbitration agreements, but um, it's, it's something to consider uh, talking to counsel about to, to discuss what the, what the best approach is. Well, Connie, that's our show. We're running out of time. Thank you so much for joining us, for coming back and sharing your thoughts on this important case. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, happy to be back. I could go on and on about this. I know our time is up and I want to be respectful with everyone's schedule. So um, it's great being with you, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll just have to have you back. That's all. <laughs> Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Thank you so much. 
You can learn more about Connie and Jackson Lewis by visiting www.jacksonlewis.com slash people slash Connie L. Chen. You can also connect with Connie via our website at workplaceperspective.com. I want to also thank our listeners, My Radio Angels, James and the Navit Knight, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer and producer, Paul Roberts, our associate producer, Melissa DeLacy, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective. And until next time, keep raising the bar. Bye.